Chapter One of Work, A Story of Experience. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andy Yu. Work, A Story of Experience, by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter One. Aunt Bessie, there's going to be a new Declaration of Independence. Brass and sabers! What do you mean, child? And the startled old lady precipitated a pie into the oven with destructive haste. I mean that, being of age, I'm going to take care of myself and not be a burden any longer. Uncle wishes me out of the way, thinks I ought to go, and sooner or later will tell me so. I don't intend to wait for that, but like the people in fairy tales. Travel away into the world and seek my fortune. I know I can find it. Christie emphasized her speech by energetic demonstrations in the bread dough, kneading the dough as if it was her destiny, and she was shaping it to suit herself. While Aunt Bessie stood listening with uplifted pie fork and as much astonishment as her placid face was capable of expressing. As the girl paused with a decided thump, the old lady exclaimed, "What crazy idea you got into your head now? A very sane and sensible one that's got to be worked out. So please listen to it, ma'am. I've had it a good while. I thought it over thoroughly, and I'm sure it's the right thing for me to do." I'm old enough to take care of myself, and if I'd been a boy, I should have been told to do it long ago. I have to be dependent, and now there's no need of it. I can't bear it any longer. If you were poor, I wouldn't leave you, for I never forget how kind you have been to me. But Uncle doesn't love or understand me. I am a burden to him, and I must go where I can take care of myself. I can't be happy till I do, for there's nothing here for me. I'm sick of this dull town where the one idea is eat, drink, and get rich. I don't find any friends to help me as I want to be helped, or any work that I can do well. So let me go, Auntie, and. Find my place wherever it is, but I do need you, dearie, and you mustn't think Uncle don't like you. He does, only he don't show it. And when you always fret him, he ain't pleasant. I know. I don't see why you can't be contented. I've lived here all my days and never found the peace lonesome or the folks unneighborly. And Aunt Bessie looked perplexed by the new idea. You and I are very different, ma'am. There was more yeast put into my composition, I guess. And after standing quiet in a warm corner so long, I began to ferment and ought to be kneaded up in time so that I may turn out a wholesome loaf. You can't do this, so let me go where it can be done. Else I shall turn sour and good for nothing. Does that make the matter any clearer? And Christie's serious face relaxed into a smile as her aunt's eye went from her to the nicely molded loaf offered as an illustration. 
I see what you mean, Kitty, but I never thought on it before. You'll be better risked than me, though. Let me tell you, too much emptiness makes bread poor stuff, like baker's trash, and too much working up makes it hard and dry. Now fry round for the big oven is most net, and this cake takes a sight of time in the mixing. You haven't said I might go, Auntie, began the girl, and after a long pause devoted by the old lady to the preparation of some compound which seemed to require great nicety of measurement in its ingredients, for when she replied, Aunt Bessie curiously interlaced her speech with audible directions to herself from the recipe book before her. Aunt Bessie's interlaced speech. I ain't no right to keep you, dear, if you choose to take, in brackets, a pinch of salt. I'm sorry you ain't happy, and think you might be if you only, in brackets, beat six eggs, yolks and whites together, but if you can, and feel that you need, in brackets, two cups of sugar, only speak to uncle, and if he says, in brackets, a squeeze of fresh lemon, go, my dear, and take my blessing with you, in brackets, not forgetting to cover with a piece of paper. Christie's laugh echoed through the kitchen, and the old lady smiled benignly, quite unconscious of the cause of the girl's merriment. I shall ask uncle tonight, and I know he won't object. Then I shall write to see if Mrs. Flint has a room for me where I can stay till I get something to do. There's plenty of work in the world, and I'm not afraid of it. So soon you'll hear good news of me. Don't look sad, for you know I never could forget you, even if I should become the greatest lady in the land and Christie left two flowery but affectionate hands on the old lady's shoulder as she kissed the wrinkled face that had never worn frown to her. Full of hopeful fancies, Christie salted the pans and buttered the dough in present forgetfulness of all mundane affairs, and the ludicrous dismay of Aunt Bessie, who followed her about rectifying her mistakes, and watching over her as if this sudden absence of mine had roused suspicions of her sanity. Uncle, I want to go away and get my own living, if you please, was Christie's abrupt beginning as they sat round the evening fire. Hey, what's that? said Uncle Enos, rousing from the doze he was enjoying with a candle in perilous proximity to his newspaper and his nose christie repeated her request and was much relieved when after a meditative stare the old man briefly answered well go ahead i was afraid you might think it rash or silly sir I think it's the best thing you could do, and I like your good sense in proposing on it. Then I may really go? Soon's ever you like. Don't pester me about it till you're ready. Then I'll give you a little something to start off with. And Uncle Enos returned to the farmer's friend, as if cattle were more interesting than kindred. Christie's was accustomed to this curt speech and careless manner, had expected nothing more cordial, and, turning to her aunt, said rather briefly, Didn't I tell you he'd be glad to have me go? No matter, when I've done something to be proud of, 
he will be as glad to see me back again. Then her voice changed, her eyes kindled, and the firm lips softened with a smile. Yes, I'll try my experiment, then I'll get rich, found a home of girls like myself, or better still, be a Mrs. Fry, a Florence Nightingale, or... How are you on it for stockings, dear? Christie's, Christie's castles in the air vanished at the prosaic question, but after a blank look she answered pleasantly, Thank you for bringing me down to my feet again. When I was soaring away too far and too fast, I'm poorly off, ma'am. But if you're knitting these for me, I shall certainly start on a firm foundation. And leaning on Aunt Bessie's knee, she patiently discussed the wardrobe question from hose to headgear. Don't you think you could be contented anyway, Christie, if I make the work lighter and leave you more time for your books and things? asked the old lady, loath to lose the one useful element in her quiet life. No, ma'am, for I can't find what I want here, as was the decided answer. What do you want, child? Look in the fire, and I'll try to show you. The old lady obediently turned her spectacles that way, and Christie said in a tone half serious, half playful, Do you see those two logs? Well, that one smothering dismally away in the corner is what my life is now. The other bracing and singing is what I want in, in my life to be. Bless me, what an idea! They are both a-burning where they are put, and... Both will be ashes tomorrow. So what difference does it make? Christie smiled at the literal old lady, but following the fancy that pleased her, she added earnestly, I know the end is the same, but it does make a difference how they turn to ashes and how I spend my life. That law with its one dull spot of life gives neither light nor warmth, but lies sizzling despondently among the cinders. But the other grows from end to end with cheerful little frames that go singing up the chimney with a pleasant sound. Its light fills this room and shines out into the dark. Its warmth draws us near, making the hearth the coziest place in the house and we shall all miss the friendly blaze when it dies. Yes, she added, as if to herself, I hope my life may be like that, so that whether it be long or short, it will be useful and cheerful while it lasts, will be missed when it ends, and leave something behind besides ashes. Though she only half understood them, the girl's words touched the kind old lady and made her look anxiously at the eager young face gazing so wistfully into the fire. A good smart blowing up with the balances will make the green stick burn most as well as the dry one after a spell. I guess contentedness is the best ballast for young folks if they would only think so. I dare say you are right, Auntie, but I want to try for myself, and if I fail, I'll come back and follow your advice. Young folks always have discontented fits, you know. Didn't you when you were a girl? Shouldn't wonder if I did, but Enos came along and I've forgotten. 
My Enos has not come along yet, and never may, so I'm not going to sit and wait for any man to give me independence if I can earn it for myself. And a quick glance at the gruff gray old man in the corner plainly betrayed that in Christie's opinion. Aunt Bessie made a bad bargain when she exchanged her girlish aspirations for a man whose soul was in his pocket. Just like her mother, full of hifalutin notions, discontented, and so in her own ideas. Poor capital to start a fortune on. Christie's eyes matched at her uncle, peering over the top of his paper with an expression that always tried her patience. Now it was a dash of cold water on her enthusiasm, and her face fell as she asked quickly, How do you mean, sir? I mean that you are starting all wrong. Your ridiculous notions about independence and self-culture won't come to nothing in the long run, and you'll make as bad a failure of your life as your mother did of her in. Please don't say that to me. I can bear it, for I shall never think her life a failure, because she tried to help herself, and married a good man in spite of poverty when she loved him. You call that folly, but I'll do the same if I can, and I'd rather have what my father and mother left me than all the money you are piling up, just for the pleasure of being richer than your neighbors. Never mind, dear, he don't mean no harm, whispered Aunt Bessie, fearing a storm. But though Christie's eye had kindled and her color deepened, her voice was low and steady and her indignation was of the inward sort. Uncle likes to try me by saying such things, and this is one reason why I want to go away before I get as sharp and bitter and distrustful as he is. I don't suppose I can make you understand my feeling, but I'd like to try, and then I'll never speak of it again. And, carefully controlling voice and face, Christie slowly added, with a look that would have been pathetically eloquent to one who could have understood the instincts of a strong nature for light and freedom. You say I'm discontented, proud, and ambitious. That's true, and I'm glad of it. I'm discontented because I can't help feeling that there's a better sort of life than this dull one made up of everlasting work with no object but money. I can't starve my soul for the sake of my body, and I mean to get out of the treadmill if I can. I'm proud, as you call it, because I hate pendants where there isn't any love to make it bearable. You don't say so in words, but I know you'll begrudge me a home. Though you will call me ungrateful when I'm gone, I'm willing to work, but I want work that I can put my heart into and feel that it does me good, no matter how hard it is. I only ask for a chance to be a useful, happy woman, and I don't think that is a bad ambition. Even if I only do what my dear mother did, earn my living honestly and happily and leave a beautiful example behind me to help one other woman as hers help me i shall be satisfied 
Christie's voice faltered over the last words for the thoughts and feelings which had been working within her during the last few days had stirred her deeply, and the resolution to cut loose from the old life had not been lightly made. Mr. Devon had listened behind his paper to his unusual outpouring with a sense of discomfort which was new to him, but though the words reproached and annoyed they did not soften him and when christie paused with tearful eyes her uncle rose saying slowly as he lighted his candle if i'd refused to let you go before to a degree i'd agree to it now for you need breaking in my girl and you are going where you'll get it so the sooner you're off the better for all on us Come, Bessie, we may as well leave, for can't understand the wants of her higher net, as Christie calls it, and we've had lecturing enough for one night. And with a grim laugh, the old man quitted the field, worsted but in good order. There, there, dear, have a good cry, and forgot all about it, purred Aunt Bessie, as the heavy footsteps creaked away, for the good soul had a most old-fashioned and dutiful awe of her lord and master. I shan't cry but act, for it is high time I was off. I've stayed for your sake, now I'm more troubled than comfort, and away I go. Good night, my dear old auntie, and don't look troubled, for I'll be a lamb while I stay. Having kissed the old lady, Christie swept her work away and sat down to write the letter, which was the first step toward freedom. When it was done, she drew nearer to her friendly confidant the fire, and till late into the night sat thinking tenderly of the past, bravely of the present, hopefully of the future. Twenty-one tomorrow and her inheritance ahead, a heart, a pair of hands, also the dower of most New England girls, intelligence, courage, and common sense, many practical gifts, and hidden under the reserves that soon melts in a genial atmosphere, much romance and enthusiasm, and the spirit which can rise to heroism when the great moment comes. Christie was one of that large class of women who, moderately endowed with talents, earnest and true-hearted, are driven by necessity, temperament, or principle out into the world to find support, happiness, and homes for themselves. Many turn back discouraged, more accept shadow for substance, and discover their mistakes too late. The weakest lose their purpose and themselves, but the strongest struggle on, and after danger and defeat, earn at last the best success this world can give us. The possession of a brave and cheerful spirit, rich in self-control, self-help, this was the real desire of Christie's heart. This was to be her lesson and reward, and to this happy end she was slowly yet surely brought by the long discipline of life and labor. Sitting alone there in the night, she tried to strengthen herself with all the good and helpful memories she could recall, 
before she went away to find her place in the great unknown world. She thought of her mother, so like herself, who had borne the commonplace life of home till she could bear it no longer, then had gone away to teach, as most country girls are forced to do, had met, loved, and married a poor gentleman, and after a few years of genuine happiness, untroubled even by much care and poverty, had followed him out of the world, leaving her little child to the protection of her brother. Christie looked back over the long, lovely years she had spent in the old farmhouse, plodding to school and church and doing her tasks with kind Aunt Bessie while a child, and slowly growing into girlhood with a world of romance locked up in a heart, hungry for love, and a larger, noble life. She had tried to appease this hunger in many ways, but found little help. Her father's old books were all she could command, and these she wore out with much reading. Inheriting his refined tastes, she found nothing to attract her in the society of the commonplace and often coarse people about her. She tried to like the buxom girls whose one ambition was to get married and whose only subjects of conversation were smart bonnets and nice dresses. She tried to believe that the admiration and regard of the bluff young fathers was worth striving for, but when one well-to-do neighbor laid his acres at her feet, she found it impossible to accept for her life's companion a man whose soul was wrapped up in price, cattle, and big turnips. Uncle Enos never could forgive her for this piece of folly, and Christie plainly saw that one of these things would surely happen if she lived on there with no vent for a full heart and busy mind. She would either marry Joe Butterfield in sheer desperation, and become a farmer's household drudge, settled into a sour spinster, content to make butter gossip and lay up money all her days or do what poor matty stone had done try to crush and curb her knees and aspiration till the struggle grew too hard and then in a fit of despair end her life and leave a tragic story to haunt their quiet river to escape these fates but one way appeared to break loose from this narrow life go out into the world and see what she could do for herself this idea was full of enchantment to the eager girl and after much earnest thought she had resolved to try it if i fail i can come back she said to herself even while she scorned the thought of failure for with all her shy pride she was both brave and ardent and her dreams were of the rosiest sort I won't marry Joe. I won't wear myself out in a district school for the mean sum they give a woman. I won't delve away here where I'm not wanted, and I won't end my life like a coward because it is dull and hard. I'll try my fate 
as mother did, and perhaps I may succeed as well. And Christie's thoughts went wandering away into the dim, sweet past when she, a happy child, lived with loving parents in a different world from that. Lost in these tender memories, she sat till the old moon-faced clock behind the door struck twelve. Then the visions vanished, leaving the venison behind them. As she glanced backward at the smoldering fire, a slender spire of flame shot up from the log that had braced so cheerfully and shone upon her as she went. A good omen gratefully accepted then and remembered often in the years to come. End of chapter 1 Recording by Andy Yu, Mississauga, Canada